everyone, welcome to a reaction podcast for House of the Dragon. This is the Pot of the Dragon podcast feed. We are here minutes after watching episode two of House of the Dragon. Spencer, what'd you think? I thought this was another solid episode of television. I think it may be a couple marks below episode one, which is no surprise, but it filled the very classical role that the second episodes of every single Game of Thrones season have filled. Further setting the pieces in motion, giving us a hint of where the plot will ultimately go, and serving as an element of transition. And for doing that, I think it did very well with respect to it. It had some exciting moments. It had moments where my girlfriend straight up gasped when they did just, just even a camera turn to see who was sitting next to somebody else at the table together. And, you know, that's an accomplishing bit of television. We got to see the intro for the first time, and I'm curious of your thoughts on that, though. Oh, well, yeah, we'll start with the intro. Uh, so I love that they kept the same song. I like that a lot. Um, the Game of Thrones song is just so iconic. Uh, I don't think you ditch that. That is a, that's a tie to the original series that I think you can keep without, uh, without any sort of problems for this main series. I have a question for you though. In the animation, was that old Valyria or was it Dragonstone that, that, that the blood was going through? This, this was my complaint. I, I love that they bring in the music. The music has been like, like as iconic as Star Wars music to me in terms of that just starts to play and I just start smiling ear to ear. So yeah, keep, keep that music. The imagery, though, of the intro was classically meant to give us a sense of the playing field, to give us a sense of where people were, what cities we'd be seeing, and that was, you know, exciting. That was, you know, something you'd tune in to watch the intro for every episode because it would give you, like, a little hint or a little suggestion about where events would be taking us this episode. I don't know what this was. I mean, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it. It seems like frame, it might but... be. It seems like it was either Dragonstone or Old Valyria. And the, and the blood, obviously, you know, the blood of the dragon was yeah, flowing through. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I like the metaphor there. But yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I just love. I like the music so much that I got a little preoccupied with that. It might not be as good of an intro in the sense that it doesn't give you a frame of reference. Although I'm not quite sure we need one, right? We had two. What? We, we were in three different places, really two. Sure. We were in King's Landing and Dragonstone, and then we got Driftmark right at the end, and and some st- some stepstones, you know, that we kept uh, we f- would flash to every now and then with certain populations of crabs. That's true. Now we're up to four. They very well could have done a map, but if they do a map, isn't that exactly the same? Do they just they're just doing the exact same thing from the original series? So I don't know. They kind of in a can't can't win situation. I would agree. I mean, it, it's the it's the most strict point of comparison that we have, and that served both an artistic purpose and also a practical purpose. This. I feel like I just have to go back and rewatch it to find exactly what it was, because it was not immediately apparent on a first watch, and that may take points away from if it doesn't have necessarily any value other than just being, here's something Valerian. But I don't know, I don't know yet. I kind of have to go, ba- go back and unpack it. Okay, I've got a couple things I want to talk about from this episode. Just immediate reactions. So first Please. off, um, I just want to talk about the confidence of this show. Yeah. It is unbelievable. This is what other fucking show second episode 10 minutes in would introduce the idea of a 50 year old man marrying a 12 year old <laughs> like in the Western world. Right. We're not, you know, obviously, you know, if you go, it you go out East, it's parallels. a little, di- you go out East, it's a little different, right? Like if this was an India, a show based in India, it'd be a little different, but like in this, in our society, like I was just like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Okay, Twitter's going to turn on this fucking show. Like, Twitter is turning on the show in three, two, one, designate. Like, it was the confidence to to throw that out there. And, like, I could tell it lost my wife for 30 minutes of this show. Like, because she thought 
he was going to marry 12 year old later. Like, like he thought mm-hmm. that she thought that was going to happen. It and was I was just po- like, let, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't even want to look at her because I could tell she was disgusted. And I was like, just wait, just like, wait, <laughs> wait. And then we had like, the, we had two incredible, he, they don't want to talk about the wrestling part of this show, mm-hmm. right? This was a, this was absolutely an episode of Friday Night Smackdown. There were two massive heel turns. One, like straight out of the wrestling playbook, which is, I will name a wife and it is... Allison, Allison Hightower, and the crowd goes crazy, and the people go nuts, and everybody starts fighting. And then, of course, the one at the end, which I think is what you were referencing, where you have Corliss Valera, and it's obvious they're somewhere else. And then through his speech, we get a sense that okay, they're at Driftmark, and then the camera turns, and oh my gosh, the unlikely alliance. Now there were some cues about this alliance. In episode one, yeah, right? Yeah, the little smirks, the little grins, the exactly. little indication yeah, these they, two might, buddies. might get together, right? And, and us book readers, we knew this was coming. We sure. knew that the alliance between these two were coming. But I just love that they gave us two, like, absolute wrestling moments of the heel turn and the, like, camera panning, too. Like, the oh. camera pan. Like, uh, just, just wonderful. Just yeah. wonderful. I, I got to give credit to the filmmaking with respect to the whole will they, won't they? And that's a horrible thing to say when it comes to a 50-year-old and a 12-year-old. But they set it up so beautifully as to slowly unlock the audience's understanding of what we get the first comments of, well, it would be a good match, but she is young. They're like, okay, maybe she's his daughter's age. And then they cut to the two of them walking together. And you just see them in the distance just to see the height discrepancies as the two of them are walking. And suddenly the realization hits the audience like a ton of bricks is, oh, oh, they they mean medieval young. Well, we had already seen her, right? We saw her. We didn't know it was her, though. Exactly. So when it was the idea was introduced, I actually muttered. I said, well, she's like 11 or 12 or something. And my wife was like, well, maybe they aged her up in the show. And I was like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. honey, you missed it. Mm -hmm. But they they didn't. I've already seen her character. You've just you, you know, a casual. It just passed right by. But we did see her at the turn. And. for a medieval setting, this is a bit of historical authenticity. It was very common for for, for women of that age to be part of marriage alliances. As said, they wouldn't be okay. expected to right. consummate. Yep. So Twitter, listen to Spencer. It, this was commonplace back then. There's no reason to get super high and mighty and, nope. and, and nope. say, I'm not, I'm not going to watch the show anymore because <laughs> this is playing into the patriarchy and all this that I know the Twitter is going to do. So, um, uh, uh, yeah, hey, Spencer, uh, you I think you fixed that situation. So uh, hey, bravo hey, to you. Shut the fuck up. They gave us they gave us a scene of two female characters even breaking it down and analyzing that. Yeah, this sucks. Yeah, I don't actually want this to happen. But this is kind of the only way we ex- exercise any measure of control and influence in this world. That was actually a, a fantastic scene between Rhaenyra and Rhaenys for yes. many reasons, but the reason where Rhaenyra just stamps and goes, is it okay with you? No. Like, and Rhaenys goes, no, and of course it isn't. Like, you know, like Rhaenys would have been a phenomenal queen. She really would have. And, and, you know, like I feel like so, not going to bury the lead. Rhaenyra is my queen for life. <laughs> Shout out to me. Loyal follower. Uh, I will wax. always be loyal to Queen Rhaenyra throughout the course. And there's going to be some episodes where it's going to be a little tough for me to do that. But I mm-hmm. am going to always be loyal to her. But she was as wrong as wrong gets when she thought, oh, well, they wouldn't accept you because you're Rainey's, but they'll accept me because I'm Rhaenyra. It's like, well, she, no, they don't even really know you. So, like, no, that's not you're she, wrong there. She sounded so delightfully Danny. Uh, I think uh, they were directly Danny. 
Chandelier, when she's having that conversation with Rhaenys and she says, well, when I'm queen, I'll make a new system. It's like, it's, it's Danny's line of where I'm going to break, break the, the wheel. wheel. Yeah. And Rhaenys is just looking at her going, oh, you sweet summer child. Yeah. No, you won't. The wheel will break you. It was just a really dumb idea. The idea that like, oh, well, they, they didn't like you because of because of you. It's like, well, first off, Rainey's is awesome. So that's wrong. And two, yeah. they, they didn't they're not accepting you because they know your character, Renera. They don't know you other than your fucking cupbearer and you're, you know, a beautiful young girl. Like, however, they about to start to know. Right. Because uh, my girl's involved. starting. to, Yeah, she's starting to fill out was, that character a little bit, which I really enjoyed. And that was an addition, I believe, from the book. If I'm correctly from the book, it, it, it's kind of almost like an off sentence of, yeah, Damon stole an egg. Yeah, he was on Dragonstone. Yeah, he was he was going to name Mazaria as his wife and have a kid with her, which apparently they've just changed with respect to that. But we'll discuss that later. I don't remember Rhaenyra getting involved in that. That's something they may have left out of the histories. I don't believe that was in Fire and Blood that Rhaenyra did that, um, but I do believe nice that touch. I do believe that it was talked about in a very flippant way. Like, well, the egg was returned, you know, yeah. like kind of it's deal. Like, so it's another one of those things, kind of like Emma Aaron's death. Sure, you know how it could be true, even though it wasn't said in the text, just because of the way the text was written. It also could make a certain degree of sense from the text that they might want to minimize Rhaenyra's role with respect to it anyway, for a few reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we won't get into that. Yeah, it, it make, made for one hell of a delightful filmmaking entrance, though, of where, you know, Otto and Loyal House Knights and Two Kingsguard are there. There's a confrontation on the bridge. Caraxes, red worm that that thing is. Beautiful design when it comes to Caraxes. Fred, just weird that dragon looks. Very cool moment when, when, when Otto, you know, Otto's men pull the steel. And then it's, is that Caraxes music situation? Yeah. And you see Caraxes and then like Otto, you have that look from Otto. Like we're basically, we're beaten. Like he, he puts his yeah. head down. Like oh, we know Sheath we're beaten. Your swords. Yeah. And he knows he's beaten. And then um, out of the mist, we get, we get Cyrax and Rhaenyra. But I will tell you this in the converse. I love how they're doing the dialogue because they're giving, they, they did the same thing in Game of Thrones through the dialogue of the characters. They give us little snippets that we're going to need to know later. Mm-hmm. And, what is it? Lena, Lena Valerian. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Um, talking to the King and she goes, well, what was it like riding Valerian? Which by the way, wish she would have fucking answered that question. Cause I really want to know what the fuck was it like riding Valerian? That seems like a really fucking cool answer. Awesome. Yeah. Please answer the question King. Uh, and he goes, you know, he, he minimizes it. He obviously doesn't even want to be talking to this young girl. No, he's uncomfortable and he says, that. well, you know, he died, et cetera, et cetera. And then she goes, yeah, but Vagar's still alive. And <sighs> And then I, we have this I, great moment. I wanted moment. to see your face when that oh, line was dropped. I, I'll tell you what I did. I hopped up out of my seat and I was standing three feet from the fucking TV, like locked in because they started to explain some of the backstory of Agar that we don't have in any of the books. So apparently what, what, what I got from this conversation is that um, after Vagar's last rider, Vagar, too big for the dragon pit, took the fuck off and they think that he she's somewhere on the other side of the narrow sea nesting like they think that they have no idea where Vagar is which is an interesting change I believe from the books too because far as I remember Vagar had a pretty reliable series of riders going through time this is I'm curious where they're going to go with this because this can open up oh no that's not I don't think that's necessarily true I do think there was a break between Vagar's most recent rider which we will not say the name right now because that would be a spoiler but Rhaegar's most recent Vagar's most recent writer, there was a break. There was a little I, bit of a break. I, I will have to check, because act, if I'm recalling the books, actually, Lena Valerian was 
uh, uh, did ride Vagar for a time because that, that's a big change they've made. And they emphasized heavily in this episode is that the Valerians in the in the show do are not dragon lords. They never have been. That is not their bailiwick. They have charted their own course in a very different way. Yeah, they they made a point of of the sea snake talking about that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there was a bit of a break, but regardless, like show we can talk about show canon, and that is that Vagar fucked off yep. like Too big for the Drogon, Drogon style and is just way the fuck out. The king doesn't even clearly know where the hell Vagar is. And so I am just how much you excited about and this? fucking needles waiting for Vagar to just show up somewhere. And when it, when we that that standoff is going on and I hear the the dragon call in the background and the clouds start moving I'm you, like how hopeful were you it's how Vagar how hopeful were you yeah and it was it was not but I am uh, that is I'm on Vagar watch well, okay. and then again this being a slight, a slight change whatever else we can talk about that later but this is just setting up it's like it's one of the moments you talked about it where they've given us a bit of a kernel and said okay put a pen in this this is going to be important later Someone picking up Vagar and how Vagar enters back into the story and the moment of Vagar's return are something to look forward to for later. Let's keep track of this and see how they do it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So that that was really exciting. I think... Um, how do you feel about the blacks and the greens now being starting to be established here by the end of this episode? Yeah, the way they, they are even doing it with the costumes. They are. Um. You know they kind of they're so I'm all, I'm always going to be Team Renera on this podcast Team always hundred percent, but the the way that they set up the king doing like because I obviously did not want the king to marry some twelve year old girl like I uh, and when he when he and, and it's I know it's it, not great that you know it's an eighteen nineteen year old Allison or whatever and by the way we got the age of Renera at 15, fifteen so I do yeah. think I do think Allison and Renera are not quite the same age I think Allison's a little bit older two two three years older baby right. So it's not like that. Mu- it's not great, right? But it's a little bit. It's a little bit <laughs> better. better. Than 12. And, and better they than 12. at least, and they, I don't know. They've at least set up this thing that like they enjoy each other's company. Like they like talking. Like you know, yeah. it's grounded on a little bit more than just like a, an equation. Well, and some oddly enough, some of my favorite scenes in the episode were Viserys talking to his all, all of his various advisors and then giving him good advice, saying that marrying the twelve-year-old would be the best thing for the realm. Because pretty much to a man, even Otto Hightower had to basically concede that, yeah, this is a match that makes sense. Getting closer to this house is serving your interest. It helped with mend the realm from the great from, from the great council years back. I know, but that fucking snake. He goes right to, but I lost a wife. Oh, that, that and was. I get, oh. give the man credit. That was that was a very smart, quick move on his part. So that my heart bleeds for you. The duties that we're forcing upon you, how unfair it is. Yeah, I don't know. Like it would, but as much as I am Team Black, I fucking hate Otto Hightower. When the King does that move and he heel turns, you know, it's like, it's it's pretty great. You know, there's a, but the, but can we talk about the reaction from Renera at when yeah. the King does that? So there's this like uh, George Shaw quote. I'm gonna butcher it, but it's something like, Look. you know, the greatest illusion in communication is the belief that it occurred. Yeah. Like something like that, like the, or the greatest mistake that occurs in communication is the belief that it occurred. Something like that. I think the king thought he had the conversation with Rhaenyra, he but did. he did not have he, the conversation the, with Rhaenyra. He, he, what he, what he had from Rhaenyra's perspective was, I'm going to marry this fucking twelve year old, and that's cool and all good. If you're going to marry her best friend, you better fucking say the name before dropping it in the goddamn council meeting. I mean, Viserys, I, 
I'm not, I'm putting him in the top 50% of Targaryen kings. I don't dislike <laughs> the man, but my God, what a misstep. Unbelievable. Man, top 50%, sure. The realm prospered under his rule. Not necessarily due to his efforts and abilities and skills with people, though. Um, he, I, I think he's a little better with people. At uh, least the show version that we're seeing is a little better with people than than uh, others think he is. I, I I, he's certainly not one of the worst Targaryen kings. No, but my my point being is I have some warm and fuzzies for Viserys, but that was a terrible misstep. But, I mean, just like you said, it was two people in a room talking with each other, assuming they were both having the same conversation. And, and they, they were weren't. Not. They were having two conversations. They were going clean past each other like two ships in the night. You have got to say the name, bro. Like, what? That was so stupid. What? I will agree that Viserys is good with people. He was a well-liked king. He, he, he was viewed as being a very pleasant king. People enjoyed being around. And that pleasantness helped him a lot. Two big errors at the end of this episode were A, not explaining exactly to your daughter what the hell you meant, and B, revealing this information to Corliss in front of company. Tell, I mean, that's, that's shaming Awful him. Move. That's Awful sh- move. That's publicly shaming him effectively. If you're going to make this decision, you vet this with every person individually before you reveal it to the council room. Because the only person in that room that the slide, two people maybe in that room at the slide, three, three people in that room know what, knew what the, what the hell was happening. And two of them were high towers and one of them was king. No one else had the slightest clue he was going to make that decision at that time, it seemed. No. Terrible. I mean, as bad of a move as it was for Rhaenyra, it was maybe doubly as bad in how he handled it with Corlys Valerian. I love that Corlys immediately goes back to Driftmark. Basically a big fuck you. Like, you know, they have defanged the Valerians in this show because they're not dragon riders. Um, Mm -hmm. So they don't have that nuclear weapon that the Targaryens do. But if they're gonna they're gonna hold true at all to the books, Corliss is not a man you do this to. No. Like you you and your kind and your ilk will pay, my friend. So it's something for I think the casual to take note of and to put it on the little the little tally on what you know, you have these like these tallies, like, okay, well what what do I need to pay attention to later in the show? You need to pay attention to the fact that Corliss Valerian is now pissed off. He is pissed off and he's a proud man. Don't don't piss off a man like Corus Valerian. He'll make you regret it at some point in some shape and form. Do you think that they're going to keep uh, Rhaenys as being a dragon rider? Yes. I think they kind of have to. I'd, I'd be surprised if they take that away from her. I feel it. Have they already mentioned her dragon? I, maybe in like the supplemental stuff. I don't think they've actually said it on the show yet. I, I think they'll keep her as a dragon rider. There's there's some important stuff that... Yeah, they, they're going to need to do that. Um but uh, yeah, but but his family is not a dragon rider, and he, of course, in his speech to Damon, he mentions that he cops to the fact that they're not dragon riders, therefore they're, they're, they're not. They've made it part of his character essentially that it is an aspect of who he and his family are that they've always been some way looked down upon and forced to find their own way because they weren't. Yeah, but I, I I'll tell you this: um, when Rhaenyra shows up to Dragonstone uh, on Cyrax and mm-hmm. gets out and and goes up to her uncle couple things there one is she you know just kicked right in the right between the legs Otto hightower just absolutely neutering the man but i feel like um the relationship between damon and renera i think changed immensely in that moment 
it did, and I feel like uh, Rhaenyra was in some ways just kind of learning aspects of it for the first time. She was doing a stare down with her uncle, and she saw something there that she did not expect and didn't know how to take. And that was good physical acting on the actress's part, that she's effectively almost flinching and processing at the same time that she's trying to stand strong and convince this man to bow to her will. Which is that he has a weakness, and it's Rhaenyra. He loves Rhaenyra. He cares about her. And like, it's we, he, she is his weakness to the point that he's willing to back down in a, in a confrontation that he's in front of Otto Hightower, which by the way, he never wants to back down in front of Otto Hightower and Sir Kristen Cole, two, two people on his motherfuck you list. And then th- two, he was willing to admit that Masaria wasn't pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like he just dropped that to her. Like it, no reason. Other than he just felt like, I guess he just didn't want to lie to her. I don't know. Missaria called that last episode that the guy's got a bit of a crush on his niece because Targaryen's being targe- doing Targaryen things. But it'll be interesting to see that play off going forward because as the show is set up, effectively the two of them are competing for the same position. Whether, whether they necessarily view it in the same light is a different question, but Damon wants the realm, whatever his brother thinks with respect to that. Rhaenyra wants to be recognized as heir to the realm. The two of them cannot have a common cause in that regard. At least not, at least not with how they're presently staring at each other. Yeah. Uh, so one other thing I wanted to talk about is the king's cut on his hand. So this is uh, something they pulled directly from the book. Um, it's very different in the book in the sense that I think what they're representing is that there's a, in the six months between episode one and episode two, the cut that we saw the king make has festered him. Has festered, but it looked like a little nick. So in the book, he slips and tries to catch himself with the with the the side of the throne and literally cuts his hand to the bone. It's a really really no, bad. He cut. stigmatizes himself practically. Yeah, now. it's a really tough cut, and then, and then that you know obviously it festers, and there's a whole thing that happens in the book. I don't know what they'll do in the show, but. Uh, that becomes a very important storyline. So it's something I think for everybody to watch. They're they're focusing on it, obviously. How did, what did you think about Malos during that whole like maggot scene with the hand? First in line to be like, yes, gotta marry the twelve year old. Like, great idea, good I mean, idea. Let's do it. Let's go. I mean, I'm, you stood up for Malos a little bit. I was a little bit dismissive of him just because my opinion of Grand Meisters has been kind of driven by the Grand Meisters we've seen in the past. Melos this episode really was again trying to offer strong counsel to his king. He did so while pointedly staring pretty much Otto Hightower right in the eye when he was doing it. Because I'm getting whether Viserys doesn't understand Otto Hightower that well. Seems like the other counselors do. Yeah. It seems like I would be shocked if Melos did not know that Alicent Hightower was going to the king's chambers when he gave that that bit of feedback and for what purpose because i don't think the king fully gets yet that Otto hightower is sending her daily to go to your chambers with maybe mixed instructions uh but i think the rest of the counselors have shared that information to know quite well i think in some ways the other counselors are, are trying to cut Otto hightower off at the pass with respect to this because they know and can at least suspect what he wants and what he's trying to do here you know, and I think that's a change from the book, right? Because I don't believe in the book there anywhere that's mentioned that Otto was sending his daughter. I think it was the I think it was his daughter was going because she was she's a little older in the in the um, in the books. 
Well, her role was changed as a result of the aging, uh, changing the ages. Because previously she was one of his wife's ladies in waiting, so she already would have been in and around their chamber. And effectively, she's kind of kept that going even after his wife. Right. Died. So it, it, the whole thing of Otto being like sending her every day with the specific instructions and where this dress. I mean that that is a little bit different flavor, and how that that whole thing went down than the books for sure. As we've discussed, they are. They want, hmm, how to say this without spoilers. They want to make this an even fight in terms of what side people support. Well, I, that's why I bring it up because Alicent does come off as pretty sympathetic in the much first two episodes. Much more sympathetic than in the books, I think. Well, I mean, it, forget the books for a second. Yes. Just look at the first two episodes. She's a very sympathetic character. I mean, she is an effectively a very similar position to Rhaenyra and to Rhaenys back in the day of where she is a woman who is trying to find her own place in the world and is being put on and manipulated by those men in power around her. And so is consistently uncertain of position and without full control over it. She is sharing their story just increasingly from another side. Yeah, I feel like she's a she's a very sympathetic character in these first two episodes. I feel like Rhaenyra is still a pretty sympathetic character in the first two episodes. I will, however, tell you, uh, folks who are listening to this who have not read the books who do not know what is coming George R. R. Martin will not bury the lead for you he he wants you to know this he's put it out there mm-hmm. there is no Arya in this story you there is no he, universally loved hero there is no one who comes off looking good there's no Arya so it, it, just get that out of your head that there's going to be some hero that w- you know won't have um, poor or evil motivations Question on motivations. How do you feel about Damon pointedly stealing the egg of the heir for the day? Uh, so, had me cackling, laughing, because <laughs> uh, I'm also a huge Damon fan. Had me uh-huh. had me howling, laughing, and I with the 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 touch. This is and Ryan Condal wrote this episode, and he man did. is he, I mean, I, I just want to hang out with this guy at a con because I feel like he's like an elite level, like. A Song of Ice and Fire scholar in the sense that he's throwing in these little things that are so smart. Like, it was Renera who asked the question. Uh-huh. Who said, wait a second. Which fucking egg was it? Like, she, D- Viserys didn't even think to ask. Wouldn't even pondered. Renera knows her uncle well enough to know that son of a bitch, I'll bet he did it. And damn if he didn't. And she didn't even seem surprised when the, the, the guy from the Dragon Pit said, well, it was the one from Dreamfire. It was... Is the one to give to Balon. What, what do you want to? How much money would you put down that the guy from the Dragon Pit was very purposely trying to not reveal that information? Well, because and then it, it was acted so well, right? Because then that's the angriest we've seen Viserys. Viserys hops up and goes, "I'll do. I'll go grab the son of a bitch and I'll bring him back." Like he he was ready to go. How would Damon have reacted if he'd done that? If he if, if Viserys had gone personally there, I think he would have given him the egg back. I think it would have been a lot less of a conversation. Yeah, I think effectively that's kind of what he actually wanted is he just wanted his brother to actually come to Dragonstone. This is a, this is the type of thing, and I've seen these relationships before in life, of two people who bicker and fight with each other, but when they're away from each other, say nothing but kind things about each other. Like when Damon is front of, in front of his brother, it's constant oh. fucking blah, blah, blah. But when he's sitting there with Corliss and Corliss goes and he's the king is sitting there with his feast and is this and Damon goes, I will talk about my brother however I want you, however, will not Mm -hmm. like 
as estranged as he is from his brother in that moment, he stole the fucking dragon egg that was going to go in his dead child's crib that he called heir for a day at a whorehouse. I mean, he is estranged. He still says, you will not talk shit about my brother in my presence. Like, so I love that little detail too. Clearly throwing in that he still loves his brother, has a lot of respect for his brother. I'm curious to hear you say then. How, what, what, how would you score this episode and whatever system of scoring you want to assign? Um, you gave the last one a 9, 9.5, something like that? Yeah, I gave it a 9, 9.5, the last one. Let me give this one a, a 9. It, the pacing wasn't quite as strong as the first episode. I think it did get a tiny bit slow at parts. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I should give it a 10 for this or a 7 for this, but jumping right out and being like, we're just going to visually show you the match of a 50 year old man and a 12 year old. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do Commitment. with that. I don't know what to do with that confidence. Cause I know it's going to piss all of social media off. I don't know if it's going to turn some fans off. I don't know if they're going to like lose some viewers because of this. I, I don't know. It's a, it's an extremely confident move to go with that because I, I mean, I'll tell you, like if I was part of this executive producing team, I would be like, guys, do we really want to do this on the second episode? Like, aren't we scared? We're going to like turn off, I don't know, like 30 of the 50 states with this move. I mean, kudos to the little 12-year-old actress who looks like the, she would actually be a 12-year-old actress they got for the role. She did well for it in terms of Oh, being- my gosh. Folks, he actually complimented a child actor. That is rare on the Mango Talks podcast network. Whoa. No, I'll, I'll shit on her once we get to the actual full-on talk that we're going to do. For right now, she did functionally well. Um, but, yeah, I it's a commitment to their craft that they're like, this is something that will inevitably piss people off. It's something we could change. We don't actually have to go with this. But the book said she was around that age. Let's run with it and see how people go with it. Yeah, it's just it's, it is extremely confident move. What would you rate this episode? I think you gave the first one, what, a nine? I, gave, uh, I think it was eight, eight point five. I, I, I marked this down a little bit. Uh, it didn't have the same level of excitement. They couldn't necessarily avoid it. I have some quibbles about some changes they made, and I... We'll have to see whether I found the uh, intro as lackluster as I did feel like it was my first time watching it. But it was still a very well-structured, well-paced, very well-acted bit of television. Cor- the actor who plays Carlos Valerian is made for that role in terms of what he brings to bear with respect. He's wonderful. Yeah, that the pride that he just encompasses with every line. It's phenomenal. Uh, kudos to him. So yeah, I would give it maybe seven and a half, eight. A, a very solid bit of television, uh, above average episode of Game of Thrones. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, uh, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up this reaction pod? No, it's reassuring. The second episode can mean a lot. Second episodes are often some of the weaker ones we've seen each season just because we've left the intro behind. They, have, they dial down a bit of the excitement a little bit. They have kind of set bits in motion. So you really can just tell from the quality of its craft and the quality of its writing in terms of how much it can give you hope for what comes next. This checked all those boxes. I'm excited for what's coming afterwards. I'm excited to go to the step zones, but I'm excited. Oh, <laughs> next episode, sir. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us here on this immediate reaction pod. Spencer and I just hop on here, give our immediate quick takes, thoughts about the episode. We literally just watched this thing about 45 minutes ago and we will be back with you this week. We're going to be here with you on a Tuesday night. So Tuesday night, I will post the pod. So it'll be ready for you Wednesday morning and it will be a full reaction pod where we go beat by beat through everything that happened in the episode. We do our segments, which includes best line of the episode is Game of Thrones back. And then we do book to show changes, which will be a lot of fun. Spencer, I can't wait to talk to you about the episode once it has a chance to marinate. Looking forward to it.